Turn in your Bibles, please, to the 22nd chapter of Proverbs. Proverbs 22. And let's take a few more minutes to remind ourselves of the importance of truth and some aspects of it that the Bible teaches. Proverbs chapter 22 is establishing that truth is not movable and it is certain, which we were speaking of before we took our break between our assemblies. In Proverbs 22, verse 17, the wise man calls on his son and on all men who want to be wise to bow down thine ear and hear the words of the wise and apply thine heart unto my knowledge. For it is a pleasant thing if thou keep them within thee. They shall withal be fitted in thy lips that thy trust may be in the Lord I have made known to thee this day, even to thee. Have not I written to thee excellent things in counsels and knowledge, that I might make thee know the certainty of the words of truth, that thou mightest answer the words of truth to them that send unto thee? Haven't I done this? Yes, the book of Proverbs is filled with excellent things in counsels and knowledge, and the purpose of it, is for you to know the certainty of the words of truth to be able to answer those that would ever ask you a question. We just made prayer for our older brother Adam to be able to give wise counsel and advice to a sister. And here, the book of Proverbs, along with 65 other books in our Bibles, is given with excellent things in counsel and knowledge for us to have it in our hearts. We're to bow down our ear to get it. We're to apply our hearts for it. And if we've really done these two steps, it ends up being fitted in our lips. If you hear it often enough and carefully enough, and if you apply your heart to embrace it and to hold it and to meditate upon it, it gets fitted in your lips. So that when you're asked a question, what comes out is the Word of God. Because it's certain. The point I want is found in the 21st, the 21st verse where it says that I might make thee know the certainty of the words of truth. Right. Truth is not changing. It's not varying. It's certain. Amen. And we want to have that. We want to bow our ears down, apply our hearts to it, and have it fitted in our lips so that we can give solid biblical answers. This is what God says. This is what the Bible teaches when we answer those with questions. Look at Luke chapter 1 with me about Luke writing his first letter to Theophilus and what he said about the purpose and reason for his writing. Luke chapter 1. What we're doing in a couple of sermons here is to remind us of the importance of truth that we would recognize that as Jesus identified the Samaritans being ignorant, as Jesus identified the Jews having their religion soon to be changed, that we're able to take Scripture and see what religions, what denominations, what doctrines are wrong, see what changes have taken place from the age of the patriarchs to the age of the Old Testament to the dispensation of the New Testament, and to be able to stand on solid ground because we know what the Bible teaches. And not to be led astray by any error of the wicked. Listen to how... Luke writes, this is his introduction. 
And I'm going to read the first four verses of this gospel. For as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us, even as they delivered them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write unto thee in order, most excellent Theophilus, that thou mightest know the certainty of those things wherein thou hast been instructed. Again, we have an emphasis on the certainty of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Luke said he had perfect understanding of all those things from the very first. And while others had taken in order to set down in a gospel account of the life of Jesus Christ, those things most surely believed among us, he wanted to do it as well. And so he wrote Theophilus two letters, the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. And in both places he tells us, he's writing to Theophilus, that thou mightest know the certainty of those things. This is what we come into this house for, is to have the word of God open for certain things out of his word, and that we will hold them fast, most surely believe them, and be fully convinced of them. The truth of the gospel. Luke wrote in order about the, the prophecies, the genealogy, the angels appearing to Mary, to Elizabeth, to Zacharias, and from there he progressed until the Lord has ascended back up into heaven in the 24th chapter. In order. The certain things of the truth of the gospel. Consider the first lie in the world. God said, Thou shalt surely die. Another being said, Ye shall not surely die. What's the difference between the two sentences? One is truth and one is a lie. One word. One little word. In the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Ye shall not surely die. One little word made the difference between a lie and the truth. The differences between life and death. The difference between heaven and hell. With just one little word as death came upon all men, physical death, spiritual death, the second death, on the entire human race for one little word. Truth is important, and every word of God is pure, and man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And we want to understand that, and we're in this church to help each other stand on God's word, meaning every word of it. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2 with me. If you allow something that is different than God's Word, then you are being turned away from the faith. And we have an example here in 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy 2, 18. I'll get verse 17 so we have the whole sentence and we have the names of two men because the apostle did believe in naming names. 2 Timothy 2, 17. And their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already, and overthrow the faith of some. These are called profane and vain babblings in verse 16, 
and they increase unto more ungodliness, and these profane and vain babblers are set in contrast to a faithful man of God in verse 15 who studies to, to avoid being ashamed to rightly divide the word of truth. But you can turn from the truth as these two men did by saying the resurrection is past. And we see that in 1 Corinthians 15. That there wasn't a resurrection of the dead. The preterists today are a rapidly growing, though small movement, of those who believe every prophecy in the New Testament was fulfilled by 70 A.D. Every single prophecy without exception. The second coming of Jesus Christ the general judgment, the resurrection of the dead, they spiritualize, they may turn it into metaphors, everything has been fulfilled. There is no hope of the believer left. They overthrow the faith of some. And so did these two false teachers. The point I want is that if you err from the truth, if you say anything that is contrary to the faith that's been delivered to us in the apostles, you're erring from the truth. And you're going to overthrow the faith of some. And so our efforts in this church are strong and they're regular and they're repeated to make sure we don't turn away from the truth. Where did the Roman Catholic Church come from? It didn't appear in one day. It came from turning from the truth on one point, turning from the truth on another point, until it's hard to recognize they had any truth. And they're just one example. While you're in 2 Timothy chapter 2, look at Paul continue to exhort Timothy on how to be a good servant of the Lord in verse 24. The servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If God, peradventure, will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. God must grant repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. God puts the truth out there. He has put it out there in creation, providence, conscience, scripture. But God has to give you repentance to the acknowledging of it. That you'll repent and say, I've been wrong. I think wrong. My heart is deceitful. This is the truth. And I repent of my past ways, and I humble myself to the truth. God has to do that. And He doesn't do it to all men. He's responsible for the repentance that brings about acknowledging the truth, and then a person with the truth, because the truth can set you free, can be freed from the bondage of Satan and opposing themselves with their false doctrine. The Bible tells you to prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. Back just a few pages to 1 Thessalonians 5.21. We always want to be a church that proves all things. A man's opinion does not mean anything to us. We must prove it. The Bereans were noble in that they searched the Scriptures daily to see if the things Paul taught were so. They received his preaching with a ready mind, and as he had quoted the Scriptures to them, they went and checked the Scriptures to see if those quotations were truly there, if they were true to their context, and they believed. The Bible tells us that that two-step approach resulted in converted Bereans. They received with all readiness of mind His preaching, and they checked the Scriptures to make sure it was according to God's divine manual of truth. 
And so we rest there. We love those verses. Prove all things. Hold fast. We, we, we run into those words often, don't we? Hold fast the profession of our faith. Meaning we don't let it go. It's fastened to us. And we're going to keep it. And we, we arrive at that conclusion by proving all things. And if it's good, meaning if it's in agreement with God's Word, it's ours. And we're going to embrace it and keep it. If it's not good, if it's something we hear, it doesn't measure up to Scripture, we discard it. We have no fear of it. We have no interest in it. If at any time we believe something that isn't true, it's heresy. If we're believing heresy, we're a heretic. Any man is a heretic. I'm repeating myself of something I said in the first assembly because there's so much confusion. If I call a man a heretic, I'm not saying he's going to hell. I'm not saying he's going to heaven. I'm just saying he teaches and believes false doctrine. It's in the book of life whether he goes to heaven or not. And we leave that up with the Lord. But we're going to call heresy every time we see it, and we're going to call any man holding to heresy a heretic. It's Roman Catholic and Protestant ignorance that makes the word heretic equal to some a reprobate. Heretic doesn't mean a reprobate. There have been men that followed that, that, that were God's elect that followed lies at, very, at various times in their lives. For instance, the Galatians had been bewitched away from Paul's gospel. They were guilty of heresy, but they were still God's elect. Paul didn't say they'd lost their salvation. Lot ended his life miserably. Solomon ended his life miserably from all that we can tell. Samson ended his life quite miserably. We're not making a statement about their eternal destiny. We're making a statement about whether they preach truth or not. And we're not ashamed to call it what it's called in the Bible. And it's called heresy. Truth is despised today. We've already looked at that in 2 Timothy earlier this morning. False teachers would lead captive silly women. These men would resist the truth. Men would turn away from the truth to be turned into fables because they don't want to endure sound doctrine. There's all kind of doctrine. But sound doctrine is true doctrine. Sound doctrine is apostolic, Jesus Christ, God-inspired truth from His Word. The truth is despised because sin hardens our hearts against it. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Our hearts are deceitful, and sin can take those hearts and turn them against the truth to degrees that are hard to comprehend, that, that can blow your mind. We've had illustrations in our midst over the years, and you should be able to think of some of them. 1 Timothy chapter 4. And verse 1, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Once you start down the road of error, you sear your conscience to where it is no longer soft, pliable, open, and ready for God's Word. And so these men went from one error to another, like Paul's going to tell Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.13, evil seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. 
The deceitfulness of the heart is so bad, it continues to work against you. And if you give it room, it will consume the truth out of your life this much. Look at Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. This is hard to comprehend, but believe it. Humble yourself before these verses and realize this can happen to you. It can happen to me unless we are vigilant and diligent in holding fast our profession of faith and sticking strictly with Scripture. Hebrews 3.12 Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. An evil heart of unbelief, once it's allowed it to, to roam, once it's allowed to survive, because you should put it to death, that evil heart of unbelief can cause you to depart from the living God. This is Paul warning Hebrew Christians, baptized believers who had partaken of the heavenly gift, had tasted the good word of God, who were made partakers of the Holy Ghost, that if they did not exhort each other, they were capable, they had the vulnerability inside that they could depart from the living God. And so the exhortation is similar to chapter 10 that I exhorted you with before our break. We need to exhort one another, and we need to exhort one another daily, lest we be hardened. Because once sin gets a foothold, it will deceive you and slay you. It will take you away from the truth. You could believe anything. How did anyone end up in the Catholic Church? How does a Baptist ever become a Presbyterian? That is so disgusting and revolting that a Baptist could become a Presbyterian or a Lutheran. You say, well, you're naming names again. Of course I'm naming names. I don't care about the Presbyterians, the Lutherans, the Methodists, or the others that are man-made denominations. They're just daughters of their great mother. They never wanted to leave mommy. They kept much of mommy. And they still call mommy, mommy. All of them. Second Peter chapter 3. We're talking about truth being despised. It's despised by a choice of men to be willingly ignorant. I referred to these verses, but let's look at them and read them. Second Peter chapter 3. Why is truth despised? Truth is despised because men are willingly ignorant. They don't want to admit what the Bible says about what's going to happen to them. Second Peter 3, 3, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lust, and saying, where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. They are willingly ignorant of the flood because of their own lusts. They do not want to think about giving an account to God for the way they live and that He drowned the entire planet underwater for living contrary to His way upon the earth. Genesis 6 says they had corrupted the way of the Lord upon the earth. 
what is one of the great ways mentioned in Genesis 6. The righteous sons of God married the wicked daughters of men. They saw beautiful women among the women of the world, and they intermarried with unbelievers. The the number one identified sin in Genesis 6 bringing the flood was intermarriage with unbelievers. They had corrupted God's way on the earth. God does not want the children of Seth marrying the children of Cain. The two camps are entirely opposed to each other. These are the wicked on their way to hell. These are the righteous that are the children of God. And the righteous are to find other children of God and marry them. And God sent a flood upon the earth because of it. It doesn't matter how beautiful they were. They're corrupt on the inside, which is where you ought to be measuring a woman and not on her exterior. Men despise the truth because they don't think God cares about details. Can you remember? Do you always remember? And are you able to give the certain examples from the Bible of how God judged some good men severely for departing from His doctrine and practice in the details? Who are they? Cain was not a good man, but he thought his offering should be as good as Abel's. What about Nadab and Abihu in Leviticus 10? They offered strange fire and the Lord burned them up. They were God's priests at the right place, worshiping the right God, but it was the wrong way because our God is a God of details. And part of the truth is the details of truth. It's not just the fundamentals. We don't agree on a few things and agree to disagree on other things. We don't agree, we don't determine to agree on some things that will create a little party for us but we disagree on other things. There's no fundamentals. Everything the Bible teaches, every detail in the Bible is important and it can cost you your life. As the Bible examples give us. Moses and Aaron, they never made it to the land of Canaan because they compromised in a detail. I'm not even telling you what they are because you're supposed to know them. What Moses did to keep himself out of the land of promise. King Saul... David moving the Ark of the Covenant and King Uzziah thinking that he could offer incense to God. But I want you to turn to Acts 26 and see another man. Acts chapter 26. And let's understand about why truth is despised. For all kinds of reasons, men don't think the details are important. And sometimes men are taught wrong, so they despise the truth until they're shown better. And I want to give you two examples to encourage us. Who do you know doesn't follow the way of God more perfectly and you want them to? Then you should be praying for them and showing them the certain words of truth that would guide them. Acts 26 and verse 9, Paul's giving his confession and testimony before King Agrippa. He says to King Agrippa in verse 9, I verily thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And he goes on and describes just how contrary he was to Jesus by persecuting those who believed in him until he was on the road to Damascus. That wonderful conversion of Saul of Tarsus is in chapter 9, it's in chapter 22, and it's in chapter 26 right here. And so he was converted. Turn over with me to Acts 18. Remember, this was written by Luke to Theophilus. The, the Gospel of Luke takes us all the way to Jesus Christ's ascension into heaven. The Acts of the Apostles take up with that ascension into heaven 
in chapter 1 and go through Paul's life. And we leave him in Rome at the end of the 28th chapter. Acts 18.24 Are you able to do this? Do you want to do this? Do you look for opportunities to do this? And a certain Jew named Apollos, Acts 18.24, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the Scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in the Spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. And when he was disposed to pass into Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him, who, when he was come, helped them much, which had believed through grace. For he mightily convinced the Jews, and that publicly, showing by the Scriptures that Jesus was Christ. Apollos was a great preacher of the gospel. But he became that great preacher of the gospel by God-given ability corrected by two tent makers, Aquila and Priscilla, because they had bowed down their ear and they had applied their heart and the certain words of truth had been fitted in their lips because do you know who they talked to while they made tents? In the first three verses of Acts 18, the Apostle Paul. Can you imagine sewing tents and having a conversation rattling around for 8 to 12 hours a day? With the Apostle Paul, all they had to do was hear Apollos for a few minutes and realize, this man's zealous. This man's, he knows his scriptures. He doesn't know anything beyond John's baptism. We'd like to take you to Ruby Tuesdays for lunch. And they sat him down and explained to him the way of God more perfectly. Are you able to do it? Are you able to do it? Do you want to do it? Do you look for opportunities to do it? It's a wonderful thing to do. And look at the results. A letter went out and said, you receive this brother. And he mightily convinced the Jews, not everybody could do that, that Jesus was the Christ. What a statement is made about his eloquence, his knowledge of the scriptures, and the true way of God that he had from two tent makers. Are you and your wife able to do that? Do you look for opportunities? Truth is rare, my brethren. Jesus said, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. Are you going to be inside or outside of the faith? When the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? I hope he finds us if he comes during our lifetime. You know, the truth is rare. In Second Peter chapters 2, it says, when that flood of water came on the earth, there were eight souls saved and only eight. That's how rare the truth was in Noah's day. There are many teachers that want to turn us away from the truth. Titus chapter 1 tells us about Jewish fables that turn from the truth. But I want you to look with me at Matthew 24 so that we can take a prophecy from the destruction of Jerusalem and ask if it is not also true in our generation. There are Christian teachers that are destitute of the truth. As hard as it may seem, The Apostle Paul said there were. And there in 2 Timothy that we read earlier today, they were. They're reprobate concerning the faith. They resist the truth. They're men of corrupt minds. But they're Christian pastors. That's why truth 
is rare. Matthew 24 and verse 12, And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Because of verses 32 through 35, we know that this is part of this chapter describing the symptoms, the character traits of the generation that Jesus, through Titus the Roman, destroyed. During that 40-year period after the apostles, the love of many waxed cold. Do you need an example from the Bible? John wrote in Revelation chapter 2 that the Ephesian church had lost their, they had lost their first love because iniquity is abounding in that period of time. Now I'm not going to preach the destruction of Jerusalem today. I've done that before, but I ask you, is iniquity abounding in the world today and is iniquity abounding in Christian circles today? And because iniquity is abounding, the love of many for Jesus Christ, the God of heaven, and the truth of the gospel has waxed cold. They don't care as much. There's so much sin assaulting, and there's so much sin allowed that it closes our eyes, stops up our ears, chills our hearts, so the truth is not loved like it should be, could be, and once was. So what are you doing about it? How much sin can you get out of your life? How much sin can you stop being broadcast into your eyes and ears in television? How much sin can you get rid of by monitoring your friends and only picking those friends that are spiritually minded and godly and sober? Right. The truth is rare. And there's a reason why. And we're told the Lord's only had a very small remnant anyway, according to Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 9, which is your daily chapter to read for today. A very small remnant. In Amos chapter 8, the Bible says that the Lord God Himself would bring a famine for the Word of God upon a land. And that land was not the land of Philistia. That land was the land of Israel. God gave them and them only the Scriptures, and yet God can withdraw that privilege and blessing when He chooses to because it's been neglected. It's been disobeyed. There will be a famine, and it won't be a famine for bread. Amos chapter 8, verses 11 and 12 tell us it'll be a famine for the Word of God and God sends it. And we see it today. It happened to them and we see it today. A famine for the Word of God. There is so much entertainment. There are so many things said. There is so much learning, but no truth. Very little truth. The truth is disappearing. What are you going to do about it? Is the truth going to disappear in your household? Is it going to be swallowed up by iniquity? Is it going to be swallowed up by slothfulness? Or are you going to be a zealot for the truth? I'm going to learn it. I'm going to seek it. I'm going to teach it to my wife. I'm going to teach it to my children. I'm going to defend it. I'm going to support it. I'm going to be at the church that preaches it. I want to read about it being spread abroad. I want to do what I can. And if I see an Apollos, I'm going to be an Aquila and a Priscilla to explain to him the way of God more perfectly. This is what the Lord wants us to be doing. Not just earning a living, making a savings account, and preparing to die. He wants us to be earnestly contending for the faith once delivered to the saints. It's rare. Let's keep it from disappearing by God's grace. Truth is by grace. It's not a right, it's a privilege. It's not an achievement, it's a blessing. It's not a discovery, it's a gift. It's not by education, it's by revelation. Do you know that? The fact that we see things, once you see them, you say, well, everyone ought to see them. I remember you saying that to me. Well, if it says it happens on this generation, why doesn't everybody believe it? 
Because until you see it, you can't imagine it being true because you've been indoctrinated a different way. It's by grace that your eyes are opened to read the words, all these things shall come to pass on this generation. You can read Matthew 24 over and over and over again, and all you do is get a warm, fuzzy feeling of angels, trumpets, eagles, lightning from heaven, fig trees, and an abomination of desolation. All you can think of is Hal Lindsey, Tim LaHaye, left behind. Until one day you're reading that chapter or it's being explained to you by Mrs. Tentmaker, and she says, look at that 34th and 35th verse. All these things shall come to pass on this generation. And the Lord speaks the word. Let him see it. And the response is, Wow! Wow! You're kidding me! Why didn't I ever see that before? I've read Matthew 24 150 times. It's by grace. So we are bound to give thanks always. Because God graciously showed us that and about a million more like it. Some of the little precious things of God's Word should just make you leap and shout that we're able to see things that others cannot see. And it's not because we're brighter. It's not because we're better. It's because blessed be His holy name. It seemed good in His sight to show us those things. He's hid these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them unto babes. I was having breakfast yesterday morning with a young man in this assembly, and we were talking about the last two verses of the Old Testament, Malachi 4, verses 5 and 6, that say before the great and terrible day of the Lord come, I will send Elijah the prophet. Jesus comes along in Matthew 11 and says, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. That is John the Baptist. He comes along in Matthew 17 and says, It's John the Baptist. If he will receive it, receive it. And then in Luke 1, Luke explains why he was called Elijah. Because he's going to come in the spirit and power of Elijah. It is so simple. It is so plain. Jesus said, John is Elijah. Period. Twice. Matthew 11. Matthew 17. And yet you can go pick up commentaries and go to churches and hear all about the two witnesses that are coming. Moses and Elijah. Elijah and Enoch. Oh, they've got them all. These two witnesses that are coming. The two witnesses have already been here. Their 1260 years are already over. Two little verses. Why do we see it? Why can we read the words? And the disciples knew that He spoke of John. He that will receive it, receive it. Do you receive it? But how do you receive it? Let me tell you again, it's by grace, but how do you receive it? Wow! Thank you, Lord! I knew C.I. Schofield was wrong. I just did, I wanted you to put my finger on it. And so the Lord takes our hand and puts our finger on it. He's wrong. What's the order? What's the order of the next two events out of these two events? The coming of Jesus Christ to get his saints? Or the revelation, the revealing of the Antichrist? What comes first? Jesus or the Antichrist? What does the Bible say? 
Second Thessalonians chapter 2, the first three verses state very plainly there has to be a falling away. We've already had it. The Antichrist, the man of sin, has to be revealed. Then Jesus comes. They have reversed the order. You read those three verses and you say, Hallelujah! Thank you, Lord! Why didn't I ever see that? Why did I get so worked up about left-behind movies? Truth is by grace. Jesus praised His Father for hiding these things from the wise and prudent and revealing them to babes. When Peter opened his mouth and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, Jesus said, Flesh and blood hath not revealed it to thee. You haven't learned that from any man. There's no man capable of teaching you that. That was given to you by my Father which is in heaven. Matthew 16. Has the Father spoken to you and showed you some things? Are you able to confess and do you mean it with all your heart that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? There's no school that can get you to say that sincerely. He that saith that Jesus is the Lord does it by the Holy Ghost. 1 Corinthians 12.3 Truth is a gift from God and He has been gracious to us. He has been very gracious. Truth is determined by two pillars. God is. Do you believe there's a God? God has written a Bible that tells us what to believe. Men today think that we're very civilized because we have microwaves instead of an open fire to cook your rabbit for lunch. But while they think that we've made advances because you have a microwave to make your popcorn instead of an open fire, they think that we came from monkeys in a big bang. They teach us that corporal punishment of children doesn't work. They tell us that capital punishment is not a deterrent. Every other generation... Men have always known that capital punishment was a deterrent until this dumb generation... You've never known anyone put to death that's killed another person. It is a deterrent. And if it happened publicly and happened often enough, it would be a severe deterrent. They've come up with same-sex marriages. They may have a microwave in the kitchen, but two men in the bedroom? Hello? What in the world has happened? God has blinded their eyes, as Romans chapter 1 said He would, when they turned away from the truth of God and turned it into a lie. They love to come up with euphemisms. Do you know what a euphemism is? A euphemism is nice words for a bad thing. Euphemism is a nice, is nice words for a bad thing. Instead of calling somebody a garbage man, we call him a sanitation engineer. These people out there that don't care about truth anymore, it's having an affair. What does the Bible call it? Adultery. They call it casual sex. What does the Bible call it? Whoring and whoremongering. They call it alcoholism. The Bible calls it drunkenness. They call it gay. The Bible calls it sodomy. The Bible calls it without natural affection. The Bible calls it an abomination. Where do you stand? How important is it to seek the truth? Look at Matthew 13 with me. Just give me a couple more. 
Matthew, truth is to be sought. It is to be pursued and it is to be bought. Matthew 13, verse 44. Again, Jesus speaking, the kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure hid in a field. The which when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth, and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. This is the word of God. This is the preaching of God's word. This is the kingdom of heaven. These are the the revelations of God's mysteries to us. How important are they to you? Are you willing to sell all for this? If you didn't get it from the first example of verse 44, look at the next two verses. Again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a merchant, man, seeking goodly pearls, who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Are you selling out to lay hold of every bit of truth that God's given us? Remember, He seeks worshipers that will worship Him in spirit and in truth. So if we don't get truth, then our worship is unacceptable. Why even go to church? If you're not going to sell out, why even come in here? It's unacceptable. Let's sell out and lay hold of the truth. Proverbs 23, 23. Buy the truth and sell it not. Also wisdom and instruction and understanding. Buy the truth. When you buy something, you use a medium of exchange called money. But when you buy something and you spend some money for it, that money, which is just a medium of exchange, is no longer available for other things that you could have. When you buy a new refrigerator, it means you're not going to have a new dining room table, at least not with that money. You're constantly making this choice of priorities of what's important to you. And when you buy one thing, it means you can't have this because you've spent the money that would have bought this for that, the truth. And so when the Bible tells you to buy the truth, it means give up whatever it takes to get it. Whatever it takes to get that field that has the treasure hidden in it in Matthew 13, 44, pay that price. Get flush whatever is in your life that's keeping you from that field. If it's a goodly pearl, flush whatever you need to to get a hold of that goodly pearl. You're going to make a lot of money from it. But we're not talking about making money. We're talking about getting God's truth so that our worship is acceptable to Him and He delights in us. Buy the truth. And then Proverbs 23.23 says, Sell it not. Don't let anything come along that tempts you to give up truth as the most important thing in your life. And things will come along to see if you'll give it up. In the parable of the sower, the things that came along was a son, a persecution for righteousness' sake. And so you give it up because I don't like being persecuted. Or along come the cares of this life. And so you, you give up truth. You sell it. My career is more important to me. Passing the CPA is more important to me. I'm sorry, Mark. I just needed someone at that moment. It's more important to me. And so you sell it. We've got to do two things. We've got to buy it by giving up other things. And then we got to, we don't sell it because we're never going to let anything else come in to our life where we would exchange the truth of God and the truth of His true worship for anything this world has to offer. That, that, that proverb is so short in its first two clauses. Can you say it any shorter than that? Buy the truth and sell it not. 
What have you given up to buy the truth? Have you given up the refrigerator to have the dining room set? Have you given up all that you owned to get the field with the hid treasure? But we never can prove the delights of His love until all on the altar we lay. Truth is to be sought. Take heed, therefore, how you hear. You better exalt truth like I just told you from Proverbs 23.23 or God will send you Micaiah the prophet and you will believe a lie like 1 Kings 22 teaches us about the king Ahab. The truth is to be taught. Hopefully you've picked that up, although I have a whole sermon here for that point. And truth is to be defended. Hopefully you've heard that. How serious was Nehemiah about contending for the truth? Did he smite them and pluck out their beards and curse them in the name of the Lord? Because they were marrying pagan wives. And they had corrupted the worship of God by doing that. Brethren, heresies are going to come. 1 Corinthians 11 promises us that a church that Jesus Christ loves, heresies are going to come into it. For there must be also heresies among you that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. You've got a whole church called among you. All the people that make up a church, heresies are going to come into it so that the church can be shrunk to show those that God approves of that are among you. Because not everyone that is among us is a lover of truth. And so God brings heresies to refine His churches They say that necessity is the mother of invention. I say that heresy is the mother of orthodoxy. It takes heresies for us to refine our points of doctrine and know exactly where we stand on the truth. And God has promised He will bring heresies. I don't have any new revelations for you today of anyone in our midst, but just count on it. It's coming. We'll never get away from it in this world because the Lord is constantly bringing the refiner's fire upon His churches, and He brings it sometimes from the outside in persecution, sometimes on the inside with heresy, so that men can be exposed that they don't really love the truth, they love their ideas. They love another man's ideas. They love something outside of Scripture. And so we're shrunk and made better by God bringing heresies just like He promised He would do. And brethren... Truth is to be obeyed. Truth is to be obeyed. In Romans chapter 2, do you remember how much time we spent there where the Jews took great delight that they had the law of God and they thought they were the instructors of the foolish? And there was Paul tearing them up just like he tore up the Gentiles because they were not obeying that law. He got to the end of Romans chapter 2 and he said the real Jew that counts, and it's always been true, is the Jew who's circumcised in his heart not the one who's circumcised externally. Let's make sure that we're obeying the truth that God's given to us. Did you enjoy John's words that we opened up with this morning, 2 John and 3 John, whom I love in the truth and who it's been reported to me are walking in the truth. Let's make sure we're walking in the truth, not just talking the truth. Are you thankful? Brethren, unless we live it, that same apostle of love would say, He that saith, I know him, I know him, I know the Lord, 
and keepeth not His commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. He doesn't have the truth. He can say anything he wants. It doesn't matter what head knowledge he has. Where his feet take him and what he does is contrary to God's Word. He's a liar and the truth is not in him. Let's not let allow that. Let that to be said of us. Let's be thankful to God always for the truth He's graciously shown us. Let's apply ourselves diligently toward learning as much of it as possible. Let's pray for more of it. Let's obey it. Let's teach and defend it to everyone in, under our sphere of influence. Let's be an Aquila and a Priscilla and show the way of God more perfectly to those that desire it. The hour is coming and now is when the Father will seek those that will worship Him in spirit and in truth. We are now well into that hour. We're past the change. We are in the New Testament. The Lord's given us truth. Let's hold it fast and let's exhort one another to hold it fast. And may the Lord Jesus Christ find faith in Greenville when He comes.